David Locke joins us now. David, good morning. Good morning, David. How are you? Doing well. So I am curious. Is there any point in trying to figure out how to manipulate the bench, or should we just acknowledge that they're going to get outscored when the bench is on the floor? But it's very entertaining to watch the starters, and against certainly the middle and the bottom of the league, the starters are good enough to wipe out whatever deficit they face when they come back in the game in the fourth quarter. I think as long as Mike Conley's out, it's showing that it's pretty hard to piece together the bench. I thought we saw the first half against Orlando Quinn alter the rotation, and they looked much better. And uh, Ron Boone and I often will talk about you know 240 minutes of quality basketball, which is 48 minutes at every position. We saw 120 minutes of complete basketball in the first half against Orlando when Conley was back. And you had the rotation, and and Quinn changed some things up there. He had Mike playing in three stints. He might have even had Donovan playing in three stints at that point. And and then it worked. Now, when Mike has not been available, and so you're now playing with five or six consistent players and then some kind of roll the dice, see what you get, guys, it has not been able to do that. So... Um, it does feel like the unfortunate reality that you're trying to build a lead early, then survive the onslaught, rebuild the lead, survive the onslaught, and close it out with a win. That seems to be the the pattern right now. I I don't know how where the what the next steps are in that regard, or how long you keep doing this. Well, then, with that in mind, and I think yeah, you you really nailed it. And that's been the uh, the way to win games, and they've done that obviously here recently makes me think that there's some type of move impending and they will add some reinforcement. What do you think about that? I mean, so if you're saying move through the trade deadline or something of that sort, the front office has always been really aggressive and has shown to do that over the years, so I completely understand um, the belief in that. I would say the landscape of the NBA feels a little different this year than it has in years past. There's not a good free agency class. Um, in the off season, so therefore there's not a desire to get under the cap and move a player that you might, you know, not, you know, Kyle Korver had money on his deal for, um, and Cleveland wanted to get rid of it, and so the Jazz were able to profit off of that. Um, that type of environment's not out there right now because the 2020 free agency class is empty. I think about 24 of the teams are playing to the cap rather than under the cap in the off season. So that's not there in the same way um, that's available, I think. So that's, And then we, frankly, don't have very many assets, part of what has happened in building this roster. And I think, you know, personally, I would say correctly, is that you move Grayson Allen, you moved a first-round draft pick, you moved, you know, you've made a bunch of moves to go acquire talent, and um, you've traded future first-round draft picks. So there just are not a lot of assets in the cupboard for Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay to go offer to their guests when they come over to the house. And so uh, I don't know how they're going to be able to do these things. I don't know whether those reinforcements might have to be Jarrell Brantley, Mia One, and Tony Bradley, or whether those assets are coming from outside. But there's there's always a little bit of a surprise here and there uh, that teams can pull off, but I think it'll be difficult. David Locke joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, the rest of this road trip, what kind of hopes do you have for that Charlotte game? And then Miami looks like the best of the three teams on paper, clearly. So, I, mean, I think the Charlotte game will be really interesting. Charlotte's been overachieving 
uh, to what their win differential, their point differential is. They're about three wins better on their record than what they should be by their performance. Um, and I think, you know, that that's the one that kind of swings this trip, frankly. If we win that game, it's a pretty good trip uh, to go out and win your first two, win five in a row, start to feel better about yourself. You're probably going to have to do it in a similar fashion, though, you know, both not, not to say that Golden State's bench is very good or, frankly, that Orlando's bench is very good or, frankly, that Atlanta's bench is very good. Frank, they might be the three worst benches in the league, and we got outscored in all of them. So uh, I don't know why I would say that we would outscore Charlotte's bench, but Charlotte's not a very deep team. Terry Rozier has been a disappointment. Devontae Graham's one of the great stories in the league. The next one, i got to tell you what. I mean, I know I'm not well, and that most people like will watch a sitcom like The Good Place or – you know, Superstore or something like that. I could sit and watch the Miami Heat play basketball for my general enjoyment. Their offense, they run the greatest stuff. They're playing using unique talent like Duncan Robinson in his own fashion. Uh, Duncan Robinson is using 84% of his possessions as a three-point shot right now. It's all he does, and it's working. Bam Adebayo might be the most underrated player in the NBA. His skill set is just terrific. Um, they ran a play the other night against Philadelphia I've never seen before where they had Bam out of Bayou on the left elbow and they ran a backdoor cut on the right side, which is no big deal, except they followed it with another backdoor cut right behind the first one so that when you, you know, adjusted to the first backdoor cut, it bent the defense and then they just threw another one coming in the same direction and they got that one for the layup. Eric Spolster runs great stuff. Miami is going to be the worst matchup we can possibly play because they just play harder than everyone else, and playing hard has not been our greatest strength this year. There's only one game, but I thought the other night with Royce coming off the bench, I thought he was more aggressive, wasn't, as DJ said, wasn't deferring, and you think that when Conley gets back, that might be more of a natural for O'Neal to get the most out of him? Maybe. Um... I'm a big Royce O'Neal fan, so I don't I don't know that I really believe Royce O'Neal has, like, I keep getting asked, does Royce have another step? Uh, the Jazz have defied logic on that, so the, you know, the general rule on these guys is that there's a certain point in time where you don't have another step, and the Jazz have, have generally broken that rule with their player development, but it's not very often that a four-year NBA or college player, two-year European player comes to the league and then has, like, some big jump. So I kind of think Royce is exactly who he is. Being a little bit more aggressive, he can go to the basket. But I don't think we're going to suddenly see, like, some pull-up mid-range game and some off-the-bench scoring from Royce. I think he's turned himself into a very viable three-point shooter when open. Um, And I think he's turned himself into a strong driver to the basket. His rim finishing from year one to year two really took a huge jump. I believe he was working with Jeff Watkinson, uh, assistant coach, deserves a lot of credit on that. So I think, you know, I think Royce is who he is right now, which is a good defensive player, a player who's willing to commit defensively. He made two incredible defensive plays um, last night. So I think he'll, he's good in that setting. But in regards to being more aggressive, I don't expect him to suddenly be like a high usage rate guy who can like carry the offense on the bench. But I do, you know, I thought the rotations the other night, as you're saying, PK, were just really smooth and the team looked to have a, a consistency. I, I would share with you guys the one thing, and this is probably where my analytics fail a little bit. I didn't realize how much the flow of a game impacts players who are coming back in the game, if that makes sense. So 
if Donovan, Boyan, and Rudy are on the bench and our bench is on the wrong side of a 12-2 run, analytically, our guys come back on the floor and they're, it, they should pick up where they left off and be, and be the better group. What I've seen this year is the opposite, is by the time they come back in the game, if the other team's on a 12-2 run, they've got momentum. And even though our guys should statistically be superior at that point, it's hard for them to regain momentum. I, 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 that's a lesson learned this year. Um, and so what we saw in that Orlando first half was that the Jazz never blinked. They were able to hold that aspect of things. Um, and so the momentum, Orlando never gained the momentum, and the Jazz were able to play that 120 minutes or 24 minutes of really solid basketball. You know, it's, uh, I totally buy the momentum thing, but I do think that this group, if there's one, it's the silver lining to the bench so routinely having problems and getting outscored, is that I think the starters are getting mentally tougher about that and are getting better at turning the momentum. Now, it might be because it's a soft point in the schedule, and when we see them play better teams, you know, Miami at home where Miami's lost once, they may not be able to pull this off. But I do think they're starting to get the knack of, yeah, it's been really bad, but as soon as the five of us are out here, we'll turn it around. That's a good point. Um, And just as long as you're not down 20, then it's all right, Um, as long as you're still sitting in contact. (laughs) We just have too many games so far this year where the bench crew is minus 10. I mean, that's just a massive number. Yeah, right? it is. I mean, it's, a, but, it's a massive but, number. But down at 93-87 when Quinn called timeout in the fourth quarter uh, in Atlanta, I thought the Jazz were going to win the game. And he put Gobert in, and sure enough, they won the game. Uh, that's a great tribute to those guys. I mean, the Jazz are fabulous in the clutch right now. <clears throat> They're, um, I think they've got the second most amount of clutch wins of anyone in the league. I think they're the second or third best differential in the clutch right now. They're taking care of the ball in the clutch, the third best turnover team in the league in the clutch. And Donovan is one of four players in the NBA right now who have scored more points than in the clutch than minutes played in the clutch. The others are Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Joel Embiid. So Donovan's doing some pretty special stuff. And Quinn's done some – I went back and rewatched the last five minutes last night. Quinn's doing some creative – things. There was one play in particular where I think they wanted to get Kevin Herter guarding Donovan Mitchell and they brought Boyan Bogdanovich up on the pick or on the slip really to make Herter switch. Herter got bumped out so that uh, Atlanta showed some you know maturity for a young team and Herter jumped over onto Ingles and then Ingles just promptly came right up on the second pick so then Herter had to switch on Donovan. Donovan spun right by him for a layup, or might have been his reverse side layup. So I think we're seeing these guys begin to understand, to your point, the mental toughness, also to understand how to play together. Earlier this year, I remember after a game talking to one of the Jazz coaches and them saying, Boyan and Donovan just don't know each other yet. They don't have any idea on, on what one's going to do when the other reacts. We're seeing them now have complete understanding. Boyan missed the shot last night, but Donovan made a perfect read on a play last night in which uh, Boyan came up for the slip and the defense got flustered and Donovan gave it up willingly and flipped it over to Boyan for a straightaway three. Boyan didn't make it, but it was the perfect read. As much as Donovan says Boyan shoots 80%, we do allow him to miss every now and then. You think we'll see more of Jeff Green taking it to the basket? No. 
You think Joe Ingles has fit into a role in the team now and is going to grasp it and gets uh, and the coaching staff knows where to put him. He knows what to do, and he's going to be more aggressive, and we're going to see more really good basketball out of Joe? Yeah, I do. I mean, whatever happened to Joe early in the year was funky. He just got off kilter, right? And I mean, he's a great – we all – he's a great dude, but, you know, he's human. And something happened with him to start this season where he just did not – get his vibe at all and somehow when Mike Conley got hurt and they put him back in the starting lineup and he was able to play for other people and do some other things um, he did and I do think that as much as we love the Joe Ingles pick and roll I kind of make this joke all the time but I'm pretty serious about it Joe Ingles cannot pass to himself and as much as we love Joe Ingles and the ball fake last night and there's a great shot of Dante coming off the bench and pretending to do the ball fake Joe Ingles is a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter who I think gets his mojo also from hitting three-point shots. And when he's on the floor with non-passers and the only passer on the floor, he's not getting those shots. When he's playing with other guys on the hot, uh, that are the better players, he's, you know, he's the fourth or fifth option for the defense to deal with, and we're seeing his three-point shooting spike right now. And pretty soon he's going to start actually making a corner three again and then it's really going to get rolling. But I think he's close to 40% from three in the last 10 games. He's back to his game. This is the best three-point shooting team in the league, the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooting team in the league, and Joe's a huge part of that. And so there's a great value to Joe playing with the other guys, and I think that got his mojo going. Uh, And I think the lack of – if you go back – sorry, there's a long answer. I know I'm good at those. Um, yeah. If you go back, except when I ask him look, a question, I get a one-word freaking answer. You ask him a yes or no question, and we go through a commercial break. Go ahead, <laughs> PK. I love you. Um, the, I can I can uh, interpret why that happened, and it doesn't have anything to do with you. Um, go ahead. So, I'll finish. I think you know. If you go back and look at the first half of the season, Joe was taking close to the same amount of threes. Let's call it four. And last year there were three catch and shoots and one off the bounce. And this year they were two and a half uh, off the bounce and one and a half catch and shoots. <laughs> and the difference is that Joe is the one of the top five catch and shoot guys in the league and one of the bottom five off the bounce guys. And so your percentage swings the wrong direction. And now there's now it's coming back the other way. Want me to analyze your long and short answers, David, or should I just <laughs> let it go? Probably should let it go. Just my feelings, <laughs> no big deal. It's not your feelings, yeah. it's Jeff Green's I mean, I think, letting it, I think letting it go might be a good choice on this. All right. Thank you, David. We'll let you go. Okay. See ya.